Hello, you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Hayden Taylor, and this week I'm joined by... Brendan Sinclair. And uh, Chris Green. Uh, it's been a busy week this week, I think. Uh, I think top of the agenda would be video game tax relief here in the UK and the revelation that giant multinational companies have been claiming millions upon millions of pounds from the scheme in the last uh, few years. Uh, Chris, this is definitely your area of expertise, although I did write the article, but perhaps you want to kind of lead on this and give give a few of your thoughts. Um, I was actually... I was actually quite angry in a way that the story came, that, 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 that it was a Guardian story. I mean, it's not the first time it's come up, but the Guardian, the story, and it was from Keza and it was from Keith. And I'm like, Keza's been in the industry as long as I have, and Keith's been in the industry for like 100 years. And they knew what happened to the UK scene. They know why tax relief is here. And um, although they didn't specifically attack, attack, attack it that aggressively in the article, um, it, it's, it's worth doing a bit of a, a, a history lesson. The reason why I was angry is because at the moment the games industry is under attack, quite legitimately for some things, particularly loot boxes, but then also things like gaming addiction. And the UK, because of Brexit and all the MPs at the moment, everyone's angry with government, all the governments, all the MPs. And when 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 that's all finally dust has settled, all the government is like, oh, we've not been doing anything for three years. We need to start showing that we're doing something. And I, and I fear the UK games industry is going to come under some form of spotlight when that happens. And, you know, the worst thing they could do is take away the tax relief. So, but... The reason why that's bad is back in the sort of dawn of the, not even the dawn of the UK games industry, but in the 90s, there was this period of time when you had all these, and early noughties, you had all these great UK game developers making big games like Wipeout and and GoldenEye and Tomb Raider being probably the most famous. And and they were published mostly by UK companies like uh, Virgin and Eidos amongst those companies. Now, Virgin and Eidos... They got into trouble. They, you know, they made their mistakes. Um, they either exited the industry or they went bust or they got um, bought out by other companies. And suddenly all these UK businesses, a lot of UK game developers were suddenly up for grabs and people just started buying them, whether it was you know, Microsoft or PlayStation or Sega, whoever. They all started investing in the UK scene. And the reason why this created a problem, apart from the fact, obviously, it's always nice if you're a UK person, have your companies owned by UK companies, but um, was that um, Canada started offering these really aggressive tax relief options. So these big multinational games companies, even though they owned UK studios, they went, we're going to start investing in Canada. You know, I love doing the Best Place to Work Awards last year when the biggest UK company had about 500 staff and the biggest Canadian company took past like 8,000. It was just, it just sort of showed how, where, how the growth has been crazy in Canada. And the reason why that was a problem for the UK was because we had a brain drain situation where so much talent left the UK and just went to Canada. Um, UK studios weren't getting invested in, some of them were going bust. You know, if you look at the UK growth numbers of UK games industry headcount over that time, it didn't go up at all. While the industry was booming globally, in the UK, we really weren't seeing it. UK was once like, I think it was in the top three biggest games development nations. It went to like, it went out of the top five um, and things were starting to go starting to go wrong. And the worst thing that could have happened is what happened in Australia, basically. We lost its entire AAA industry. And, um, and as a result of this, um, and the, I think so the biggest advert of what went wrong in the UK scene was Tomb Raider. Because Tomb Raider, if you ask anyone what you think the most iconic British video game is, you might say Tomb Raider, except it's owned by a Japanese company. It's made in Canada. And, um, and it's, it was, it was, that was an example. That's like the pinnacle example of what was going wrong. And um, uh, so the UK development uh, trade body, Tiger, particularly, and then later Yuki, started to really campaign to get these tax relief in. And it wasn't just about the big companies, it was about the small companies. There were no big UK-owned companies that were doing well either. Everything was sort of 
struggling. And they said, we need to get tax relief to be able to play on an even playing field with Canada because we're losing all our developers to Canada. We need to be able to play on an even playing We need to get, get, encourage investment back in the UK. Both governments supported it. And I say both governments. Labour initially said, yes, let's say that we'll, we'll do the tax relief. And then they lost power. <laughs> and then the Conservatives came in. And then in their next budget, they went, all right, yeah, we'll do it as well. Then the EU said no, because it's against EU uh, regulations in terms of competition and that kind of stuff. You need to do something about it. So the government came up with the uh, cultural test, which is very similar to how the film tax relief works, which is why Star Wars is made in the UK. Um, and, um, and it was basically to try and make it a little bit harder in order to be not too anti-competitive with the rest of Europe. And, um, uh, and, it, was, it, and it worked, right? So we've seen, I mean, it's not, it worked on all levels. The independent games scene in the UK grew. Um, UK games companies, bigger ones, started to flourish. You saw Team 17 and Codemasters float last year. Frontier had a really good time of it. Sumo's had a good time of it. Um, we started to see bigger UK companies get bigger and grow. Then Headcount in the UK grew significantly. Sega was buying up studios and investing in them and hiring more people. Ubisoft did the same thing. Activision oddly went the other way. Um, take two... Um, Take two bought Hangar 13 over to the UK last year. So there's, there's been this real growth in the UK scene. And, and although that's negative in the sense that some people are going, oh, Take two are taking all this money and, and you know, we're not seeing any of it. Um, the benefit, though, was that these companies invest in our local education system. They were investing in our, you know, investing in the communities and things like that. Look at Sega's legacy project, for instance, or, or um, well, so Create Assembly legacy project, or Microsoft's apprentice scheme. My brother is a game developer now because of Microsoft's scheme. Um, and trying to help education. So it had a real big benefit upon the UK on every level. Um, and um, uh, and it's, not, it's really, it's actually the one, of the, and in, 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 with Brexit about to happen, it's the, one, it's, it's the one thing that I can say I'm slightly proud of in the UK at the moment is our development scene is doing so well. So when I see articles and people on Twitter and stuff questioning why it's happening, why it's there and how it, it helps big companies and it's damaging, I, I sit there and think that it's, it's a bit, a few short memories going on here because it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the UK dev scene dying. and um, and so it, I, I'm a lot calmer now than I was yesterday when I was getting very worked <laughs> up about it. Um, but it was it, it would be terrible if they took this away. It would be a real shame. I mean, in an ideal world, there'd be no tax relief anywhere. Right? There'd be no need for it. But unfortunately, it's not ideal. Um, and Canada is, is really good with its tax relief. It's really good with its development scene. Now, I'm not saying that people only come here because they're tax relief. Right? I'm sure Microsoft will continue investing in Sega Wood and all this kind of stuff. But um, would Warner Brothers... You know, you know, they've got Warner Brothers Montreal. They're making the next Batman game, apparently. You know, would they still be investing in Rocksteady? I don't know. Um, and that's and that sort of stuff's the stuff that makes me uh, worry if we lost that tax relief while while we're going through such a wonderful growth phase for UK dev. I think one of the things that's really interesting about video game tax relief, or perhaps the criticisms around it, is I think they come from a place of being perhaps perhaps video game tax relief being a little bit misrepresented. Like, I get the impression that there is this idea from people that the tax relief is just for sort of small to medium-sized companies that may struggle to get funding elsewhere. And that's what they think it's for. And so then when they see larger companies benefiting from it, they they go, well, this isn't what it's supposed to be. And then there's also the cultural test, which I think, as far as naming goes, is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not it's very easy to pass that cultural test without being sort of quote unquote culturally British. Like it can be made in the UK and have UK staff and things like that. And that's enough. But when you call it a cultural test, 
that makes it sound like it is for games that are sort of quintessentially British. So when you see something like Rocksteady developing Batman, you kind of look at that and go, well, that's not what this is for. Um, but it is what it's for. Um, it's like the, the cultural test very clearly lays out the, the boundaries and the definitions, and that's been approved by the EU and by the British government. Um, and the, when the uh, scheme was announced, uh, like small and medium-sized businesses were mentioned, but they weren't sort of mentioned to the exclusion of larger developers. So I wonder how much of like the criticism that's thrown against it comes from a place of being just a little bit misinformed. And, you know, like you said, Chris, in an ideal world, I think no one would be doing tax, uh, tax relief. Uh, but unfortunately, like if you start seeing a brain drain and your industry starts dying, you have to look at alternatives. And, and that's where we've landed. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, I think Tiga shared some numbers, which I will bring up now, which were, uh, yeah, shortly before it was introduced, uh, there were around 10,000 game developers in the UK. <clears throat> uh, and now there's 14,000. Mm. And there were 620 studios, and now there's 812 studios. So, although uh, Tiga don't ex well, they don't say that is the tax relief is the sole reason why we've seen that grow that growth. Uh, the CEO Richard Wilson does attribute uh, tax relief as like the primary reason. Like, I mean, people do want to invest in the UK because we've got we've got a lot of talent over here. It's got a lot of history in video games. People do invest in the UK scene. It's it's. It, the problem is if you're if you're a big where would you put your money you know where are you gonna where you know when it comes down to it am i going to invest you know ubisoft now have a lot of they've, they've recently acquired a couple of studios in the uk they've got a lot bigger in the uk but they're home they're a french company their home their development home is in canada um and but I, it's not just about the big companies though you're right it's about the small and medium-sized companies but they they get a lot of benefit out of it as well it's just that obviously their games don't have the same cost attached to them as a Grand <laughs> Theft Auto or a, or a, um, a Batman Arkham game or a, or whatever. Um, and it's also worth noting that they're not exactly having handed money. It is it is that it's a tax relief. It's a relief on how much money they're giving the government. So it's it's not quite a, as explicit as a as um being being handed cash. But you know, I the problem is we will get to a state. We'll, we, you know, we're, other EU countries are looking to introduce tax relief as well, and I think we will get to a point where um, everyone's doing it, and so it really we're all just offering tax relief just to just to create a, a zero sum game in a way, um, <laughs> and that would you know, and that's not yeah, that's a bit rubbish, but um, but it, it's you know it's it's the it's the state of things, and you know the it's really, and over time you know if we in, yeah once we more talent that come through the more the better our schools are treating the games industry as a thing maybe we don't need the tax relief as as much you know because uh, you're right tax relief is a tick in a column right if you are take two and you're going should we open a studio in brighton brighton's a great place got loads of great development talent they don't really have any triple a studios anymore and they used to have loads they've got a lot of talent over there so you know we should launch there are probably some some people we can recruit we should launch in there oh and we get tax relief it's a tick in the column over time, that tick becomes perhaps less important if we've got such an abundance of development talent because of all the investment in education and stuff. I mean, if you look at Digital Schoolhouse, UK's Digital Schoolhouse, you look at the people that support it, companies like PlayStation and Nintendo and, and Sega and all those companies that give money to Digital Schoolhouse, which is a UK initiative designed to um, uh, uh, boost the education system and, uh, and encourage people into the games industry. Um, you know, they're all foreign games companies, right, um, supporting our education system. So it, it, they do have extra benefits supporting those big companies outside of um outside of just you know uh, how much money they end up giving back to 
Thanks for asking. Did you have anything to add on this, Brendan? I mean, you're based in Canada, right? So I don't know if yeah. this is... Yeah! <laughs> you're the enemy, Brendan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you're the I'm reason just... we have to do this. <laughs> I'm being conspicuously quiet over here, and at the, risk, <laughs> at the risk of being a walking stereotype, I'm I'm sorry that we decimated your industry. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. I mean, the point is, the UK system industry is going through a bit of a great phase. It has done, and you know what? I always thought it was funny when I used to go to the Canada. I remember when I went to FIFA, and it was a long time ago, and I went to see the latest FIFA game being made, which I always think is crazy. Canada hates football. Um, and, um, it's just and, I, and, um, and I went there and the, the head of every single department was British like, even Peter Moore was head of ES Sports at the time <laughs> and, he's, and he's, you know, he's a Liverpoolian and I just went this is, this is where the talent's gone they've gone to EA Sports and, um, and when I did the Tomb Raider interviews back in the day and it was Daryl Gallagher and Rihanna Pratchett I'm like, well there's, you know, here they are you know, it's, I thought it was quite fun and it's a global industry um, um, and it's you know, and the Canada's still doing extremely well. Um, and it's 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 just a bit of competition is good. And then we're seeing you know, Playground opening a new studio as well. That's Microsoft money that's allowing that to happen. And the Sega's more rapid expansion. Um, I just hope that you know this isn't whipping up a uh, yeah a sort of anger against um, tax relief and video games in general because it's it's really been a hopefully it's been a good thing. Hopefully the government it's- sees thing. It's a little strange to me too, just because like this, like, I I wonder what people expected from these tax relief programs. Like, oh, the the biggest companies are benefiting the most from them. Like that's, that's kind of the point. (laughs) I think like this wasn't, this wasn't, uh, I think designed and sold to people as a, you know, this is how we support the arts in in the uk or anything it's like no this is to attract big businesses to invest a lot of money into our market and build their their games and their studios here instead of somewhere else Mm. so it's it's a little it's a little surprising to see like now that we find out that that's happening that people are getting upset and i I wonder if part of it is sort of um an offshoot of things like the you know the reports recently about Rockstar Games not paying any taxes for mm. for so long because they've got these, you know, complicated corporate structures which basically amount to tax evasion schemes. I mean, it's also also like put out that when we get to award season and Game of Thrones picks up loads and we go, oh, that's a British made thing. And you know, and Star Wars does really well. Ah, oh, it's great watching British films do really well. And um uh, and even in the game in the UK when we see Batman Arkham Knight and all that kind of stuff and see a fever so oh isn't it wonderful to see all that and um and it's back then it's all british it's proud britain right and then and then later on it turns out that in order to achieve that there was a bit of there were some tax incentives introduced suddenly it's oh hang on where's my tax dollars where's my tax money going um but yeah it's all how you spin it in it yeah it's also worth remembering that like there are lots of very small studios which probably would really struggle to keep the lights on without this tax incentive Mm -hmm. And I think that's it's generally like a good thing that these small studios have an opportunity to try and get their game out in, in conditions that otherwise wouldn't be possible. So it's not, although I think a big, like these big companies have claimed the most in terms of actual like amounts of money claimed. Uh, 
overwhelmingly the the claimants of tax relief are like smaller studios yeah. but they just they just get a lot less money for it you also they also get money in advance there are these companies banks and stuff like that that, that actually advance studios money on the f- knowledge that they're going to get the tax relief so mm. you get the you get um it actually helps with the investment as well Uh, in slightly, well, I wouldn't say it was necessarily better or worse news, in just more news, I guess, uh, Monument Valley developer Us2 Games has been accused of union busting after it allegedly fired a key programmer over his union activity. A programmer called Austin Kelmore, uh, who is the key programmer on their new game, Assemble With Care, was uh, reportedly let go after inviting fellow members of Us2 Games to attend a union meeting, uh, which are allegations that Us2 Games denies, uh, saying that he's leaving the company for reasons unconnected to his membership in the trade union. It's all a little bit dicey, if I'm completely honest. It's uh, it, it's hard to really know. Us2 Us are obviously denying it, the... Game Workers Unite, along with the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain. They're, I think they said that us two games have until today to with, uh, retract their decision um, before legal action is brought against them. I mean, Brendan, this feels like it's very much your wheelhouse. Do you have any thoughts on this? So we, we've seen this kind of um, in a few places in, in tech uh, recently. You've got like the Kickstarter um, union organizers. Uh, a couple of them were were fired for what appear to be, you know, motivations related to like, hey, these people are organizing a union that the company does not want in any way, shape, or form. And one of the things that um, I, I keep coming back to here is is just when I hear these stories. I think if I were an employer, I would actually want my uh, my employees to be unionized because there's a responsibility you have as an employer to take care of the people who are working for you, who are you know devoting their their waking hours and and so much of their career and you know where they live in a huge chunk of their life to the success of your business. And as an employer, it's very, very difficult, I think, to actually live up to that responsibility on your own. You know, you go around to ask all your employees, how are things? And you'll get answers. And some of them might be honest, but you can't really know that for sure. Right. And uh, it's, it's nice, I think, to have a union there, this, this body that exists to represent those, those workers and, and, and advocate for them to sort of take that responsibility of, of ownership partly off your shoulders as, as the boss. And like, I, I understand like this is in, in large part why I'm not running my own company. <laughs> Because I think that, you know, yes, there are these huge obligations and responsibilities that come with it that you really, you know, have like a moral obligation to to live up to. Um, 
And uh, there's something that we, there's a story Rebecca did on, on Sauropod studios um, recently, a Montreal studio that, that uh, went, went into bankruptcy. Um, We thought for weeks that they had just shut down because their former employees had told us that. And the studio was not telling us any differently in our attempts to contact them. But the, um, the former employees that Rebecca talked to, uh, a couple of the the women had talked about a sexist workplace culture and how they're being talked over in meetings and having, you know, uh, guys bring up the the same points later on and then having everyone just say, yes, yes, those, <laughs> we agree with that. That's a great idea. And the owners took exception to that in a, their, their statement that they released. And it seems to really um, surprise and hurt them the idea that there was sexism in their workplace. And I'll take them at their, at their word there and, and say like they, they were sort of unaware of this and, and genuinely did not expect to see that. And they, but they said something like, you know, any, any kind of reports that went through our HR people were, were very quickly dealt with. And that's the sort of thing that, like even just the description, like being talked over in a meeting or having your your ideas kind of co-opted and, and received better. That's the kind of thing that like an employer is never going to hear from their employees. But, you know, the employee, if they can go to the union and kind of paint this picture of like, here's this, you know, a workplace culture issue like that. That, that the employer might be completely oblivious to. Like, I, I think that is a, a valuable, uh, a valuable service that a union mm. would provide. Mm. And I think I've just gone way off course here. Um, Cause <laughs> well, that's no, what I, I do. But, yeah. but like I, this is, it, it, it just, it kind of baffles me, I guess. I understand like things might get more expensive with the union. Things might be contentious between the, the workers and, and the uh, employers, but like there's, there's kind of a reason for that. There is an almost inherently adversarial relationship or, or if not adversarial, at least you each have your own interests and they mm-hmm. are, they are not always working in, in the same direction. So, <laughs> so I think kind of both, it behooves both sides to have actual representation and leverage in dealing with the other. It's actually quite interesting. If you read the um, Best Place to Work Awards interviews, one of the two of the companies on there actually call for unionization of the games industry. And these are the bosses of the studios. So it's, it's not, I think, Brendan, there are people out there that share that view. And it's quite interesting, actually, uh, listening to our boss after the uh, Best Place to Work Awards this, this year. He came out of it and he went, well, it was, it was really uplifting and amazing, he said. And he said, also really depressing. <laughs> and I said, why do you mean by depressing? He went, how am I going to live up to that? You know, and it's, and it's, and the thing is he does a perfectly good job, you know, but it was, um, it was, I could see how uh, you could see the best and you go, how do I do that? And I thought, you're right. You know, it, it can help lift the quality and game workers unite in particular were at that event weren't they? on your, on your panels. Um, mm-hmm. And they were there to try and help the games industry, you know, deal with these issues and be better. And that was, and it was a very positive thing. I did think the only thing that I felt a little bit about the us two stuff, I mean, obviously they've denied it. So there's not, there's not, can't say too much about it, but the, um, but the, uh, was, um, was, uh, it was being bigged up as a real big news story. And I have to, yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I was a little bit like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Union busting is serious, but, um, 
it was it was because us two, although they are a big company overall, us two games about twenty five people. It's basically an indie studio, um, so it was a bit like ah. But also, um, us two actually were a winner at the best places, not this year, but in pre- in, they took part the previous year and they actually did very well. Had a very happy workforce. In fact, had a had a too happy workforce. I was a bit concerned by some of the comments I got. One of them was um, <laughs> one of them was uh, an employee that said that he came into work even when he wasn't supposed to because he liked being around his colleagues. <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, which is, you know, uh, which is, so they, they, were, they were really like, so I can believe they have this sort of uh, very, perhaps a, a very unique culture. And if you don't necessarily fit into it, and, um, then perhaps it, it, it gets a bit tricky there. But obviously I'm only speculating. Um, yeah, it was a, uh, um, yeah, I guess we'll see how that, how that pans out. I think it's fair to say that that's true of just about any studio with a strongly defined specific culture, you know, mm. like a, a lot of the the stuff that we heard, you know, after the Kotaku Riot Games expose was was kind of like shock from from people because the Riot Games culture had always worked for them. Yeah, um, and and us too apparently has they uh, kind of put a lot of effort into having a very particular culture like the the about us page on their website says you know founded by two best friends in 2004 we set out to create a family marrying the best of family and company and like just personally for me it's it's a red flag whenever um, my employer starts talking about you know us as a family because I don't know if my family doesn't have layoffs. I don't know about yours. Uh, it's like not an option, really. Uh, <laughs> also, you, you, don't, you can't really like leverage your family for sort of financial gain in the same way you can with a company. So there's wow. definitely, it's definitely something a little bit distasteful about sort of the fampany aesthetic. You don't go to your toddler and say, I'm sorry, Jimmy, we haven't hit our Q3 targets. Uh, we wish you the best in your future endeavors. And then you bring in a younger, cheaper toddler that can fit down the line. <laughs> yeah. I'll say this about us too. I mean, the us two people that I know and the people that who took part in the awards, they're all really young people. They're all young, including the head, you know, guys in charge. And um, they're all, it's very diverse and there's a lot of, it's very, um, it's a lot. It's, it's a very diverse team as well, um, from what I know. So I was a bit surprised that it, I mean, as I say, they did very well in our awards, not this uh, in in twenty eighteen. Um, but um, but uh, uh, so I was a bit surprised to see them being called out. But I guess it's it's a very specific incident. But um, um, but yeah, no, I you know it's the same thing. It's, there, there's certain things that studios do and in best places that I always thought, oh, that sounds really good. Like we're a family here, which is great. And it's cliche. They all say it. But then there's also there is that what's that mean? And then there's certain things like one studios that do your own washing for you. That's when I start going. Um, <laughs> you talked about this Hayden, didn't we? Oh, I'd, I'd happily crunch my I'd happily crunch if I could get uh, if I get my washing done. But I suspect that's the reason why they do your washing. Um, well, yeah, it's, um, I've 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 spoken to sort of people who work in studios before who are like in charge of schemes like that, and they say jokingly, "Oh, you know, it it means it means our staff you know stick around and do a bit of extra work." And they say it as like a joke, but it's like it you do mean that and believe that, and that is kind of why you do it. Like schemes like that, I think uh, after a certain point they start becoming a bit of a trap. I mean, you you see it in a you know massive 
sort of like tech companies out in the Silicon Valley where they have like on-site gyms and sleeping pods and things like that. And it's like, look at all these amazing perks you have. And it's like, really, it's just a trap to keep you just living at your job for as long as possible and squeeze an extra however many hours a week out of you that they can, just making it very convenient. A lot of the time, so actually, in fact, I think every UK studio, in the, every large UK studio and everything, I think every large game studio has a gym. I mean, I think that's, that's quite normal. Um, mm. that's quite that's quite boring i mean rare have an on-site allotment um, that you can use um i went to see that recently and it's like but this is a lot of the time when it comes to big studios when it comes to benefits big studios kind of end up going on a consensus because and they do things which look really nice and then only afterwards they find out it's not that handy like they do something like you know if you've got if you've got married they'll give you an extra week off or if you have a baby they give you a bonus or something but it's like well if you're someone that's decided not to have kids, that doesn't really benefit you. And, and they end up having these huge complex web of benefits that could go on for hours to try and please as many people as possible. Whereas small studios, they have far fewer benefits. They can be very specific because they know exactly what their individual people there would, would benefit from. And, it's, and a lot of the time, I don't think it's they necessarily keep people there for longer, but there will be people that do spend a lot of time there or people that um, go, oh, you know what, if I could... Uh, you know, I go to the gym in the morning. It'd be so much easier if I just only had to drive to work, go to the gym there, have a shower, and then go into work. You know, mm. you, you'll find, and it ends up creating these problems. But um, uh, it's interesting. I've, I've learned a lot doing these awards a couple of months in terms of what actually is a good thing for studios to offer and what actually might be somewhat crunch enabling if, if, if it unintentionally. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting that, that studios are so, uh, so quick to spend a whole lot of money to make things more comfortable for for the developers and you know some of these studios i imagine us two among them would pride themselves on like well we take good care of our people and and we we pay them well and all this but when it comes to to giving up some control or giving up some leverage which is essentially what you know when you're when your employers organize what happens um that seems to be a, a red line for a lot of them that they will they will push back on and I, I think that's i think that's sort of you know telling that that it's not it's not about the 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 money or the perks necessarily for for a lot of the people it's sort of about not having such a one-sided powerless relationship with your employer Interestingly, one of the, the top-rated company in the best places, mid-sized category, was um, Space Ape, I believe. And actual fact, that was the thing they were praised for. It was the fact that their staff pretty much, you know, would complain and then they react. And Unity get the same thing as well. That's one of the things that they were often called out for. But their staff complained and said something and said they were, it was an issue. And a group of them went, "This is awful." And then the immediate management reaction is to, "Well, let's fix it." Um, is the and that was the um, and that was and that. Uh, that was the stuff. It's very hard to define. It's very hard to judge that kind of thing. But it was uh, those are the ones that um, uh, they 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 that they did really well. Okay, so I guess closing up now for this episode, uh, we should probably discuss PlayStation Now and the cut in price that it's received along with uh, adding some limited marquee games um i mean on the surface uh, i think they've reduced the the monthly cost from twenty dollars to ten dollars in the u.s and slightly less generous reduction from 
13 pounds down to nine pounds in the uk but it essentially just looks like it's sony trying to play catch up with microsoft on game pass um with their own sort of fairly limited option does anybody have any sort of particular thoughts on you know do do we think this is really all that effective do you think it's sony just trying to make sure that it doesn't look too left behind or do you think this represents a actual kind of shift in strategy from Sony. Okay, I think it's absolutely hilarious that you're talking about PlayStation now playing catch up with Microsoft <laughs> because, <laughs> because Project X Cloud hasn't even like started its testing and PlayStation Now has been around for like six years. PlayStation Something Now is the, stream, it's the biggest PlayStation Now is the biggest streaming service in video games today. It's number one. Yeah. It's, it's, well, yeah. I look yeah. very stupid, don't I? <laughs> well, no, no. This is. I, th- I think what you were saying is kind of the, the general perception, which is stunning to me because, like, everyone in the last year and a half has been like, streaming is the next big thing. It's not here yet. We're going we're gonna to make this speculative technology real. And Sony's just like, we, we've, been, we've been doing it. <laughs> We can stream on the PS3. <laughs> and no one cares. And do no you, one cares. Do you think that's because the, the price is exorbitant? I mean, £20 a month is uh, is a lot of money. Or $20 a month, sorry, is a lot of money. Whereas like the Xbox Game Pass offering $10 a month, a huge library, all first-party games are on there, along with a bunch of other stuff. Like, it just seems like a really attractive offering. And Microsoft had did such a push for it when it first came out. It seemed like it was, like, the hot new thing. Whereas Sony PlayStation Now, like, what, it started out on the PS3, right? Which feels like an eon ago. So it's perhaps it's almost been out for so long that we all just kind of forgot about it. I know I, I, know I did. <laughs> it's not very good. I mean, that's the thing with PlayStation Now is, it was, it was mostly legacy titles. It was quite weak. And in fact, Xbox Game Pass wasn't very good until they added in the first party stuff. And that's when it boomed up, um, exploded into everyone got very excited about it because suddenly brand new games are on there. And the more new games Xbox added, the more valuable Xbox... Game Pass becomes more valuable every time Microsoft releases a new game, which admittedly mm-hmm. isn't very often. Um, but it's a bit of the idea in the future is it will become more, more frequent. I was just like yeah. that PlayStation did something. I mean... I mean, they've. I, I understand, I and mean, you can see it from the recent, you know, loss of Sean Layden and, and that kind of stuff. That the the new restructure that was sort of um, started back in March 2018, and uh, it hasn't gone entirely smoothly. I mean, it's it's. You talk to anybody. I'm not saying you know it might still work its way out in the wash. There's still plenty of plenty of time left. But um, uh, there was this wonderful, weird, broken system that PlayStation had, where every you know, Europe looked after itself and America looked after itself and Japan looked after itself. And it meant that everyone had to do deals with three different PlayStation departments and it was all broken and it was all a little bit like, um, uh, you know, it was all a bit, but it meant that, every, you know, we did, UK did its own marketing campaign, France did its own marketing campaign. And I'm pretty sure Invisibles only existed because it was popular in Spain, right? It was this, um, and it was, and that was the way PlayStation was. And it was a bit weird and it didn't work as smoothly as Xbox might have done, but it kind of made PlayStation the biggest gaming brand in the world. And then they've sort of tried to do the best of both worlds by bringing it all, centralizing it in the US, but giving some power. And I just don't think that's working its way out. I think there's a lot of um, uh, disagreements or things not quite panning out. And so all year it's been Xbox. And this is the reason why you were saying earlier, you know, Xbox playing catch up. Well, Xbox, it feels like PlayStation playing catch up. 
right? Xbox is the number, you know, it's Xbox, Xbox, Xbox. They've released two, Xbox released two games this year, and that's it. Um, none of them, and only one, one of them was a bit below average. Um, and, I mean, um, I'd say they're probably both a bit below average. <laughs> I thought Duffel Gears 5 was supposed to be good. Um, Gears but, uh, 5 is is fine <laughs> i only read the reviews i never played the game i mean the reviews were good the reviews are good um but That's the um, sorry i'll stop yeah. <laughs> i only i what's the hang on i want to get the metacritic um the um but the um but it was it, it was okay they've not released a lot um they've not done a lot but they've been good at talking about it they've been talking about xcloud they've been talking about game pass talking about project scarlet they're very good and that is, it's an odd situation because playstation are dominant right now they are the dominant force in video games and we're in this situation where um, in the comes the beginning of the next generation of consoles, I, PlayStation have somehow left the door ajar for Xbox now because Xbox, if they're the one, everyone's talking about Microsoft. Everyone thinks PlayStation's playing catch up, even though PlayStation now is the biggest streaming service in video games. <laughs> PlayStation have the have have that stuff ready, um, and um, and next year might be different. You know, January or whenever it happens, uh, PlayStation might reveal PS5, and suddenly everything clicks into place, and it all. And the story changes overnight. But right now, it feels it feels like it's it, it feels odd. It feels odd that the world's biggest games console manufacturer could be in a um, could somehow lose this because they've been so good and their games are so good, right? And it, and, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think Sony is is largely to blame here, just because it it's it has a habit of exploring new things, but not like wholeheartedly just kind of like i remember on the i think it was the the psp or uh, towards the end of the psp's lifespan they like rolled out this this app which would um which would let you take any of the local multiplayer games on the system and you know play them on online against anyone anywhere and it, it was like what their infrastructure or online status kind of switching and and it was like here is a really cool thing that just you know it, it works it works well enough maybe not perfectly and they just release it and they didn't bother really pushing it at all and i think like on vita remote play was kind of the same way i mean vita was kind of the same way but specifically on the vita uh the remote play app was kind of fantastic you know how many people talked about playing bloodborne or or destiny on on the vita even though the system itself didn't have that game and and that was really great but it didn't didn't really do anything more than that when they released the playstation move controllers like those were really good controllers i mean those were the best motion sensing controllers of the time um but you know they didn't they didn't really continue supporting it in like oh. a, a front yeah. of mind kind of way. And I think PlayStation VR even has that, that same issue right now. Although that might be just because Sony's not promoting anything front of mind at the moment. I think a, a good, a better example, a good example for what you're saying is PlayLink, which was their big, they, they invested loads of, loads of games came out on that, but yep. PlayStation TV. And then when, when Microsoft does something, it's like, here's Connect, and we are going to try and build our entire next console around this thing. You know, here's, here's <laughs> Xbox Game Pass, and we're giving away all of our first-party games day one as part of this. And it just seems like it's more 
there's more direction, more intent, more focus, more more of a push behind the things that Microsoft does pursue, whereas Sony dabbles. Well, it's interesting, though, because you say that, and you're right. I've always had that thing with PlayStation. They dabble, they experiment, right? And they experiment, and if it doesn't take off, sometimes it works, like an iToy, and then sometimes a Wonderbook happens, and then, yeah, it works. Yeah. Um, but, um, and... And, and interesting, you used an example there of Xbox went for it with Connect, and then that kind of backfired on them as well. So yeah, I'm not sure what the best profile, but PlayStation, I wonder if this new centralized idea then, PlayStation centralizing things a lot more, which is what they're trying to do, actually might fix that issue. You know, if PlayStation now, if Jim Ryan and his team are based in the US and, and they're dictating to Europe and Japan a little bit to a degree, this is what the focus is. You're selling this. And it becomes more of a, a joined up, Things I think you talk about things like you know PlayStation Move and stuff. PlayStation Move has really pushed in the UK for years. It was a real big thing. But I was told I remember at the time by Andrew House, in fact, that it wasn't a big thing in America. They weren't really pushing it in the US at all. And I thought that was interesting because over here it was because that's partly because Europe likes those sort of games a lot. You know, Europe as a whole tend to do a lot better with that sort of content. And and that was what the old PlayStation could do. They would invest in something like iToy or Wonderbook or whatever. And they might end up pushing it in different territories where it did really well and then letting it die in Japan or whatever. And, um, but this new PlayStation, I guess, would allow something like PlayStation Now, if, they're all, if everything's centralized and it's one big vision, then maybe, maybe we'll start seeing it a little bit more like Xbox. I mean, we're not seeing it yet. But maybe that's hopefully. I think that might be the idea. Um, yeah, I, I think something that's quite interesting about Sony at the moment is that, in the same way that I thought wrongly that uh, PlayStation Now was a real sort of just dead dog and wasn't really doing anything, like Sony as a company, despite the fact that you know PlayStation is the number one console around at the moment, like they just don't really feel like they're kind of leading or in command of the situation at all, like their announcements just don't seem to gain the same level of traction or the same level of excitement. And I don't know if that's just because they've been quite complacent recently, given their sort of success. And so Microsoft has to try harder. And so things just come across as maybe a little bit more exciting, a little bit more promising. But, you know, I, if I were to, if I was like an alien who just landed on this planet and I was going to look and see, you know, who is the most sort of successful, exciting company at the moment, I would probably think Microsoft, which... Like a year ago is kind of unthinkable um, because a year ago Microsoft was had like nothing to offer, but right now it's it's positively like bubbling with potential, especially when you look at all of the recent studio acquisitions it's made. Like Microsoft looks like it's in a really really promising place going into the next generation, whereas Sony. I mean, I don't know. It's perhaps a bit trite to say I think we're going to see a, a repeat of the PlayStation Three sort of fiasco, but it really doesn't feel like a million miles away. I think it's worth in compar- interesting comparison, though. I think people talk about arrogance, but it's not just arrogance. I think it's timing as well. Because like PS2, PlayStation didn't want a generation change, really. PS2 was number one. It was dominant. Everyone was buying PS2. Everyone was buying PS2 games. They didn't really want to change generation. Xbox had been hammered, and they went, right, we're going to focus now. We're going to spend all their years focusing on the next console. And that's why 360 got off to such a strong start. And Xbox are kind of in a similar place now, right? Because... They've got Gears coming out, but really their lineup of games between on Xbox One is really small. Mm. And But they're going, right, we're going to launch Project Scarlet with Halo. Now, PlayStation are launching their next big game, if you, is Death Stranding on PS4. And their next game after that is The Last of Us 2 on PS4. And, you know, they've got a load of big games coming out. 
on PS4 because PS4 has got 100 million plus users. It's number one globally. PlayStation don't really want to <laughs> um, uh, don't want to start another console battle. They're 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 they're, in, they're, they're making hay. Well, I say that their their sales are slowing quite drastically this year. But um, but it is a and so and this is actually what I always find quite. I was sitting there thinking. I've always thought this Christmas is quite quiet. But wouldn't it be great if next Christmas it was Xbox One and Halo and Switch Pro and Zelda? And wouldn't it be great if it's a PlayStation Five and Actually, what are they going to mm-hmm. launch with? And that's when I was, and that's where I, I don't know. You know, they've most of their big developers have released games quite recently. So I, I was, oh, maybe it's a Horizon Zero Dawn two or something. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't um, necessarily. It wasn't an obvious, wasn't an obvious thing. And I think it's partly because they're not necessarily in the spot Xbox are. Xbox can spend two years hyping up the next console. Whereas PlayStation actually don't want to. <laughs> they want people to buy, keep buying PS4s. They want people buying Last of Us two. They want people buying Death Stranding. You know, they they don't necessarily want um uh, uh everyone to um just put down their controller and get excited for ps5 they also might remember that uh playstation 4 didn't launch with anything either and that, that didn't seem that. to to hurt its long-term success no no it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't need it i think playstation are less perhaps reliant on ip as well because they're big games of generation like a lot of them have been new ip but they did have a kill zone and let's not forget the triple a juggernaut knack that um i think yeah really really helped them a great deal there um that was one of the weirdest no, things about last gen is that you look at xbox one and it's like here's rise son of rome a brand new ip and here's sunset overdrive just a couple months after launch and here's dead rising 4 and it's like okay well here's you know here's some cool. big high profile exclusive stuff and uh it did not help them at all no, <laughs> it's true. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, if you, I mean, I've got the uh, I've actually got the hardware day this year, and um, it's interesting because PlayStation Four they're on about three hundred thousand console sales in the UK, which is actually two hundred thousand down on this time last year. So they're seeing a real sharp drop. We are ready for another generation of console. Xbox One they're down by about a hundred thousand onto one hundred eighty-two thousand sales this year. Um, so there's a there's a big drop on um, uh, in hardware sales. Switch obviously is up. Um, because it's this is the year of Nintendo, really. Um, but um, but it's a um, it's it, there is there is obviously clearly an appetite for new or at least a need for them from a console market perspective. So hardware sales are, are drastically falling, and this was the fear. I remember early doors when it, PS4 and Xbox One was flying out of the gate, and there was all these updates. It's faster selling than 360. It's faster selling than PS3. And then my and I kept saying to all the man, is this a real sharp rise followed by a real sharp fall? And the reassurance was, no, no, it's not going to be like that. But, you know, it, it might be a bit like that. Um, and I do, think, uh, I do think the market is ready for something new to happen. Because, I mean, if you look at the UK market, it's depressing. I mean, I'm, I, it's really, it's been a really poor year for game sales, um, physically, um, but I also think digitally and where else as well. Well, I don't want to end on such a on such a down note. So unless <laughs> unless somebody wants to like say a quick joke to lighten things up, I think that's going to be how we're gonna how we're gonna close out the episode. Oh, well, well, how about great, Fampany. fantastic closing words. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's gonna be great. It's gonna go really well. Um, new consoles will be brilliant. <laughs> the biggest PS4 launch, of course, is Medieval. Um, I think everyone can agree on that um, in two weeks' time. I'm looking forward to that.
really i genuinely am i'm not even being sarcastic i know <laughs> it's not the biggest ps4 launch but i'm really looking forward to i think it's gonna, uh, i do think it's going to do pretty well like it's got a real cult following and i think it'll probably be able to find like a newer younger audience now like 20 years later so i'm sure i'm sure it will perform well for them but yeah, there's barely any young games out there's barely any games for children on ps4 coming out this year and xbox one and there's plenty for nintendo of course but um, on those two platforms, it's a bit unusual, really, for towards the end of a console stuff. You tend to see a lot more kids' games come out. It's a bit quiet this year. Anyway, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, you can go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good post- podcasting apps, where you should consider subscribing or even leave us a review if you're feeling particularly generous. Uh, and be sure to visit gamesindustry.biz for all the latest news and insight into the world behind video games. 